This is Valley Views, our weekly conversation with influential and interesting folks from around the Wet Mountain Valley. Today on Valley Views, we're visiting with Dan Heaster, resident guest artist and director for Westcliff Center for the Performing Arts. Dan has been on this program many times, oftentimes in front of Shakespeare. Dan, welcome back to the program. Thank you so much, Gary. Thanks for having me. We have talked about doing a program like this where there's not a play right. uh, in the offing, so we can uh, back off a little bit. When last we spoke... Max Frisch's Biederman and the Firebugs was ready to be performed. That play is now in the books, as they say. How did it play in Peoria? Well, it played it played well for those who came. We didn't have huge audiences, but we didn't expect to. It's a pretty challenging, avant-garde, kind of out there kind of play, so we knew that, but we felt it was so relevant and that it was good for us to stretch out a little bit to push into slightly less traditional kind of title and it's a play that I love it's one of my favorite plays and we were really happy to do it and I think the production turned out really well it helped kind of really um, after COVID and of course we put together much ado but it kind of helped re-energize the core company the designers and we were able to bring in T.C. Smythe I hope I'm pronouncing that right, to be our sound designer. And that was a really exciting addition to our ensemble. And our lighting designer, uh, Scotty Foster, who is usually brought in just to kind of throw lights on things. He was involved very deeply in the design from the very beginning, very excited by all the effects and the fire and um, all of that stuff and the core acting company. So it was really, it was a, it was a wonderful experience for us is development, but the audiences who came were really appreciative. We just had really mm. super conversations like out in the lobby afterwards or the next couple of days or we got um, several emails from people we've known a, a long time and who've been in the theater about, well, what about this? I was a little curious about that. And it was because we did some unusual things. We did a, an opening to it that it was very theatrical people would call it brechtian where you know it's it's not trying to create that illusion of another time and place but really telling the audience we're in the theater this is a play you're part of it and we want you to really be challenged to think about have opinions have opinions on the issues and create your own meaning for it so it was really successful from that point of view I've been to productions over the last 10 or 12 years mm-hmm. since I've lived here. And, and thank you was, for that. This was one of my favorites. I thought that's, that's it right great. out of the blocks. It started fast. It was easy to follow. It was uh, compelling. Uh, it was thought-provoking. And the music, I thought, was a, a strong character in the, in the play. Absolutely. And that's one of the things that we really worked to do. Normally... The music design is just sort of a bridge between scenes. And we wanted to do more than that. So there were a couple of places where we were ready to start the next scene, but we let the music play to make a commentary on the scene that was coming up or commentary on the scene that just came back. Let me ask a little bit about Shakespeare. You've, okay. you've been involved with the Shakespeare in the Park uh, for, from, for from some, the beginning for some years yeah. uh, as it... 
what is it about the bard that is so compelling? Well, you know, he is certainly, you know, one of the reasons he has lasted for 400 years plus now is that he's really good. <laughs> he's a really good storyteller. He's really good at crafting language. And he was just amazing at writing stuff that is timely but timeless that you know still resonates today but resonated in his own time and uh, of course because of the sunset and time limitations and other things like that um i usually do an adaptation so i i consider you know i know shakespeare's been dead a long time but i consider him a collaborator and this past year much ado about mm-hmm. nothing is a classic play I, I suspect it's one of the most fun to perform. Yeah. As an audience member, I've seen it several times in several different places. It's it's one of my favorites. For for me personally, doing Dogberry was <laughs> so much fun because there are few characters like that in all of dramatic literature. He's so wonderfully out there and makes such wonderful commentary on the other players because the other the other characters are um, witty and language crafts people and so all of that and he considers himself to be the same thing <laughs> so there's a wonderful parallel contrast and resonance and sort of a mirroring yes I wanted to talk about French theater. I know okay. that you're involved during Shakespeare. Moliere showed up, uh, I think, the Miser a few years ago. Yeah, yeah, uh, we've but, done uh, several. But back in uh, Denver, you've got a serious thing going on where you perform en, en français, in French. En français, I am, am the director and artistic director of a troupe called the, the L'Alliance and Co. And we're associated with the Alliance Française of Denver. Mm-hmm. And we have, since 1984 which makes us the theater company with the longest track record of doing French-language plays in French in the U.S. And so we've done a whole wide variety of modern and classic and a lot of Moliere. You know, and we're thinking of possibly doing a Moliere next summer. That's one of mm. the things that we're kicking around. And it's, it's fun to do because Moliere, I think, was... Ex- at the same level as Shakespeare, mm-hmm. there are a few authors that are at the same kind of level that of, of being transported right. and transportive. And Moliere, I think, is. Moliere was a true, wonderful genius. And so... You, you, especially on the, the humorous side. He's, right. he's got that going for Well, he was, never, he was never successful at doing tragic or serious plays. He just... And as an actor, he just kind of couldn't pull it off. And he, he tried a few and was frustrated and said, no, I'm, you know, I'm going to just do comedic and wildly funny plays. And that was his background. Mm-hmm. And so he took a lot of the serious kinds of issues that you find in Shakespeare and you find other places and really played them through, through the comedy and, you know, had a, a particular talent for really making those pop out and resonate in a particular way because of the comedic thing. And, of course, he was very controversial in his own time. He had several plays banned or, you know, that he had to wait and rewrite. And Mm -hmm. he was well-loved by the king. 
by King Louis the Fourteenth, but the courtiers would <laughs> sometimes get a little bit upset, or mm-hmm. you know, when he wrote Tartuffe, which you know is about religious hypocrisy, a lot of the religious hypocrites, you know, in the the clergy were very upset by it. So, yeah. so that's that's a lot of fun. But yeah, my my company in Denver, and one of the features that we have is that we um, always do a, a bilingual aspect one way or another. And, and how does that work? Well, it's it's been one of the funnest, most challenging, most creative parts for me to figure that out because rather than doing traditionally you have like a surtitle or you do an English echo of the French and we've always sought to do completely different things. One of my favorite was a play called uh, Cité Sans Sommeil, which I adapted from a French piece. It was big, big cast and very abstract. And we had quite a number of people in the cast who spoke English and not French, several people who spoke French and not English. And the way we constructed it is, like I would say something to you in French, you would answer in English without missing a beat. And so we were able to give all of the information that we needed to without interrupting the um, the flow of the play. So we always find different kinds of things like that. Another one, I uh, I was on a raised platform and played the author commenting on my own play. So we would find, you know, places between scenes and I would talk about what just happened and what was going to happen. And The audience must be a mix of, say, expats, who are fluent in French and maybe French students. How, how big of a challenge is that? Uh, it's to a big connect, challenge. Connect with the audience. Yeah, it's a big challenge. I mean, we spend a lot of time in rehearsals and have done adaptations. The uh, Right before COVID, we were trying actually a fun, really new thing. We did uh, The Little Prince by Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, which is all French teachers teach it. It's one of the most popular French um, stories and books in America and all over the world. And so, you know, we worked that, and the the English part of that was I came out as the director. It was We were doing it upstairs at the Alien Française, which is a gallery. And so I just played it as that. I played it in the space. And so I was kind of a tour guide and broke in every once in a while, talked about what had just happened and what was going to happen. And it was it was it was great because of course we had a lot of kids coming too, you know, from two to twelve years old and mm-hmm. um of course adult audiences and we did it in a very tight venue and we didn't have a lot of seats. We had forty places that we could sell. So it was really fun to get to those people and to make sure that they understood. So, um, and it's actually always intimidating for me because, you know, I'm an American. I was raised in a household. My French grandmother came to live with us and she, she refused to learn English because she said, if I learn English, my grandkids will never learn French. So we, you know, if we wanted a snack after school, Mm -hmm. it was in French. Ah. So you know, but I wondered how I wondered about your background. Yeah, Let me yeah. ask a bit about language. Uh, f- language is a significant factor in the arts. I've seen Italian folk singer Beppe Gambetta, who's a well-known uh-huh. uh, player, who uh, is Italian, and he on stage he'll say in Italian it's Giuseppe Verdi. 
in English, it's Joe Green. It, <laughs> and and there, there's a sense, my sense is French and Italian are beautiful languages. I've had occasion to speak Polish. Uh, those uh, Slovak languages uh, and the Germanic languages tend to be more guttural. Right. Uh, how does that enter into the feel oh, of things? Hugely, hugely. You know, the French language is very musical. It's um, there are a lot of kind of technical things about the way it's accented and the way that it plays, but it's 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 beautiful language. And I know we did um, three times. We've done L'Histoire des Soldats, the Soldier's Tale, by Stravinsky, and the language in that is is so so exquisite. And that's you know, and that of course it's got music in it too, and. So the you know it's a a fun challenge to play with the musicality of that and and that's what brings a lot of our audiences. Actually, we even get audiences that don't speak any French, but they come just for the language, just just to, to hear, hear it. just to yeah. hear it. Let let me switch gears as we run sort of short of time. You've played in plays for many years, probably uh, in front of many kinds of audiences. You probably have been in front of big audiences, small audiences. What uh, what resonates most? What do you prefer? Well, what, what, what I really prefer is audiences of around 100, more or less. You know, and I've had chances to move into bigger venues playing in front of bigger audiences, and I've done that a few times. But there's a kind of a connection that you're able to make with an audience of a hundred more or less. Um, I ran a theater company in Denver for 15 years called City Stage Ensemble, and we were in a wraparound 100-seat house. And it was just so satisfying as an artist to see people over again and know them and be able to talk about the body of the work as it went along rather than having it be sort of a, just a big faceless audience. And mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, in these days when you can become an international star on TikTok <laughs> for at least a week, you know, I think that's a real question and I'm interested in how you think about this because you've encountered the same kind of things in, in your work. We've had occasion to play in front of large audiences. I think the largest audience was probably in uh, Rongova, Poland, in front of four or 5,000 people. And, of course, there was a big language right. uh, challenge there. Uh, but while I wouldn't trade that for anything, 40 people in a living room is about as good as it gets because I, you can see all the people, you can get the react, reactions at the break, at halftime, you can talk to all the folks. Right, uh, right. That's, that's really hard to beat. I think it is hard to beat, and it's why, you know, why I keep coming up here and why you and, and TC are up here in Westcliff and in this county because even though we all might have been able to break out into other places and size of venues, there is something that is just, I think, deeply, deeply, deeply satisfying as an artist playing something that you, where you really can make a connection, where you can really see the responses that you're getting and interact in that way. Good point. What's next for Westcliff Center for the Performing Arts? What's next is we're going to kind of kick into a full season. The uh, very popular 10-minute play festival and competition that usually happens in the fall will happen 
in the spring, probably in in March, and then we're looking to find a really good, fun title for a spring show that is big and popular and fun and funny, a more traditional piece. And then we're looking at things for the um, for the summer Shakespeare Festival. Right now, the two kind of leading contenders are Twelfth Night by Shakespeare, which we've done before a long time ago. We'll bring it back. And we're looking at uh, Moliere's The Misanthrope. We've had a lot of luck with that. And then to do another fall show in the place where we did Biederman that's maybe a little bit more challenging and unusual. So good fun season that's starting to to take shape. Great. In these last couple of years of COVID, uh, I know during Biederman, it was just nice to be back in the theater and, yeah. and seeing folks on stage. Uh, right. Dan, thanks for stopping by. Oh, Gary, thank you so much. It's uh, great fun to talk and, you know, to not have a specific play, but to be able to talk about art and theater in general with a fellow artist. Très bien, merci. <laughs> merci à toi. We've been visiting with Dan Heaster, resident guest artist and director for the Westcliff Center for the Performing Arts. My name's Gary, and we'll see you next time on Valley Views. You've been listening to Valley Views on KLZR 91.7 FM. Valley Views airs Tuesdays and Thursdays at 7 a.m. and 6 p.m., and again on Saturdays at 10 a.m. Valley Views is produced by the volunteers of KLZR 91.7 FM. Walking on a rainbow with my feet on solid ground. I'm walking on a rainbow.